Many spiritual traditions talk about the knowledge of self as the ultimate initiation. And without this self-awareness, we don't actually have a contextual relationship with everything that's around us. And yet, depending on the tradition, that sense of self is often moderated either with whoever the deity is, is a part of helping you know that self, or you get to know that self through specific teachings or practices or rituals. And this dawning of awareness of self is an interesting animal to explore because as the self dawns, it's more like a revealing than like a one-time awakening. You just suddenly become more and more aware, but slowly. And so it's an integration. Now, sometimes there are spiritual awakenings and plant medicine journeys where there's a bigger aha that happens that's catalyzed by something. Sometimes chosen transformations, sometimes unchosen tragedies. And then more of us is revealed to ourselves. When too much gets revealed, then we don't have the capacity to integrate it and make it um, actionable in our day-to-day life. It remains almost at the surface or somehow just out of reach because we don't actually have access to it because there was no way for us to metabolize the information that we had during the quest or in the sweat lodge or with those teachers or in that ecstatic moment with nature when you felt the whole world come to life within you. It's like, how do you integrate those experiences into day-to-day life such that we begin to be able to shape day-to-day life that includes the ecstasy and the mundane? Of course, seeking the ecstasy all the time doesn't work because there's just too much stuff to do in a given day uh, for there to be always ecstasy. But that's also what a lot of the spiritual traditions talk about, which is to sort of learn to fall in love with the chop wood, carry water aspect of life. And that is a huge part of the initiate that you would learn self-awareness slowly through chop wood, carry water experiences. If you're lucky enough to have a mentor. Now I did have a mentor. In fact, I've had several mentors. I consider myself mentor rich. Um, Most of them are now in the ancestor domain, but in the way that true wisdom lives, their wisdom lives on in me and throughout my day, literally throughout my day, there will be a word, a sound, an image, a feeling that's summoned from the initiations that I went through with those who mentored me. Now, one of the people who primarily mentored me in a chop wood carry water way is, of course, the woman who co-parented me with my mom, Karen, Sue Hoya Sellers. Now, Sue was a big fan of the chop wood carry water teaching process. It was something that she experienced herself when she met her mentor, also her guardian, Lenore Thomas Strauss. Lenore was a stone carver and a printmaker and a storyteller 
but Lenore had a lot of friends who had the different mediums. And so she set about making sure that Sue had experience in stone, wood, clay, sumier, printmaking, typography, drawing, wino cut making, metal arts, you name it. She was brought into an initiatory experience by women who lived in the area that Lenore lived in of Akokeek, Maryland, and this would have been in the 40s or so, I think. I'm not remembering, 40s, 50s, can't remember exactly. Not so good with the linear thing sometimes. And so Sue wanted to bring me into that level of initiation. And of course, I was impatient. In fact, the very day that the intentional creativity movement, for me anyway, began was the day when I was wedging clay. And I was, we had already spent, I think, months digging and making the clay. And all I wanted to do was make a bowl. And, oh my gosh, there are two hummingbirds doing the sweetest little dance right now. Oh my gosh, I've never seen that. Their two little beaks were right, right, like almost kissing. Oh, so sweet. So she, um, on this particular day, after I'd waited months and months to throw the pot or make the sculpture, I was jokingly saying, you know, can't we just buy clay at the, kid, at the store like the other kids? And this uh, sort of very shy, low, impatient request led to her asking me a series of questions about my intention. And my intention was rooted in the thing she said I cared most about in the world. And then she told me to bring that intention into the clay. And what I cared most about in the world was, oh my gosh, the hummingbird is right in front of my face. Hi. Oh my. Hmm. Wow. Maybe you heard their wings. Sometimes I think they think I'm a flower. <laughs> so when she asked me what I cared most about in the world, which was ending violence for women and their families, I felt the power of my maker energy as I began to wedge that clay with a whole different essence of energy. I felt energy cross the equal sign of my body and move into the matter of the clay and be transferred into that particular bowl. As I was making this clay bowl experience, she, because I got to throw the bowl later that day, she also said to me, believe that that energy is going out to the people who need it right now and I visualized and there were these sparks of light which felt like they went out from the studio on the hill at Terra Sophia and went out to thousands and thousands it was like these arcs of light and energy and information that went out to people around the world who needed it and every once in a while well actually more often than once in a while people let me know that they received that spark of light Sometimes it's uh, so specific that I meet somebody who starts studying with me and then they recognize that they've had a small piece of my art or a bookmark 
of some kind in their home for 20 years or something. Even one of my best friends, Shannon Thompson of Shakti Rising, we were best friends for a long time before she looked at this one painting she had, which was a painting by me that I created in my early 20s. And so there's this feeling that on the other end of those energetic sparks of light are these very real beings that are receiving that spark. And sometimes those sparks and me meet in physical life and in quantum life in the communities. And when that happens, there's this recognition of the beginning of a relationship that many of us hope will go on till we're hundreds of years old, at least 500 years for, yeah, for starters. And we want to acknowledge that. And in the, in the teachings of the Red Thread, we say, I already belong here. I was called to the circle. I have my own piece of Red Thread and I will witness you as you witness me. Those are the core legends of the Red Thread. And so there's this idea that when we acknowledge the meeting, the sacredness of the meeting, the serendipity of the meeting, that the meaning of the meeting amplifies. There's a sense that we were called into some relationship to do some work. Now, in my case, I don't think of myself as a mentor. I didn't actually want the responsibility, although I wanted to offer teachings. I feel like mentorship for me, and this could be a bias at this point, but we would need to be together in person making tea and chopping wood and carrying water. I don't know how to mentor in a virtual space. And so we've stayed away from that term. I rather like the one that we've come up with called curate, which is someone who cares for the soul of the village, but is not the uh, village expert, so to speak. I'm mostly interested in all of us um, having our own constellations of wisdom that we're all sharing and that allows me to center on the ones that are in my zone of gnosis if you will the things that I just know that feel like they're about more than just me and are intended to be shared with many of you and those of you who resonate with them great and those of you who don't um, are sparked into your own discovery because sometimes people find their path through reacting to the paths of others and I don't I think that's a wonderfully disruptive way to discover uh, meaning so when we bring meaning into the meeting we say to ourselves something outrageous which is I'm on my path I'm in the right place for me I showed up and I'm ready for initiation now initiation in the communities that I teach and guide in are rooted in painting. Now painting is one of these fascinating things because I remember conversations between Stella Mack and Suhoi Sellers and myself and uh, Stella Mack would say, is it all the arts? And Sue would say, yes, of course, it's all the arts. We're intentional in all the arts, but actually painting. <laughs> There's an idea of painting as some sort of elevated art. And I think that one of the reasons is because you are making image that's coming out of imagination. It doesn't necessarily have utility. It doesn't have to be a replica of something. There's a level of a kind of permanence to it, even in the moment. There's something really magic about the image, note the root image, as 
the root of the word imagination and also of magi and magic. So we become these makers, if you will, co-creating with creation and our own imagination. And we outpicture visible images that are from the internal world. Now, painting as a tool for self-awareness is phenomenal. As you're painting, you start coming to about various aspects of yourself that I would say are extraordinarily different than a mental process. Even a psycho-spiritual process where you have an epiphanous awareness and then it's like a revealing, like I said before, and now you're just kind of in it and you're just sort of now being more self-aware from that experience but there's nothing to point at necessarily unless it was a mountaintop experience and we have some of those but those don't populate our everyday necessarily even if you're someone who falls in love with beauty and ecstasy as often as I do uh, still those moments of epiphanous awareness are distinct and unless there's a visual somatic sensual uh, record of that in your imagination then chances are you don't retain it in the same way. But maybe those experiences for you are contained within a psycho-spiritual image uh, that you can recall and summon. And if you do, you can contact that moment again. But notice, once again, it's often in an image which facilitates the lean toward the feeling. And the feeling then informs everything else that's somatic. Painting allows these internal feelings to be externalized and viewed and related with. So the energy comes, we're painting along, out comes images which are from the conscious, the unconscious, the subconscious, the interconscious, the interstitial collective. Ideas are just pouring out, especially if we don't dominate and we go slow and we allow it to emerge and we don't force and try for perfection and Google too many images. <laughs> to look at what is the beak of a raven doing in order to look like a raven instead of a blue jay, right? Like you Google raven's beak. If we do that too much, then we something gets lost in my worldview, but you do whatever the heck you want. So the image comes out and it comes out however it comes out and the rougher it comes out, almost the better. Because as soon as you can control your painting, there's a little bit less of the magic of painting. Um, there's other magics that open, but when you can control it, then you're deciding what comes forward. When you're just letting it flow from the end of the brush. You're not deciding what comes forward. You have some prompts, and especially if you work with me, there's a lot of inquiry, a lot of meditation while you're moving and painting and seeing what arises. We call it following the arising, and then all of a sudden you're wowed, and you're just like, what in the flying off was that? And then you begin to interpret and then that information comes back into energy. But it comes into energy through your eyes and through your body. So painting, in a way, engages a whole somatic experience. And what I love about painting as an, a, a pathway to self-awareness is that it engages the whole self. Now, you might not think that you're moving that much somatically, or you might not think you're thinking that much because you're so focused on the painting. You might not think that whatever, I don't know what you're thinking about, but basically when we have trauma, it impacts all levels of being. 
what I call the constellation of being, like all facets of you are engaged. So my theory for quite some time now, and I've presented it at the United Nations on the Commission of the Status of Women, is that for us to heal from trauma that happens everywhere, somatic, psychic, spiritual, mental, emotional, all the bodies, we must heal through engaging all the bodies. And if we're just going to an energy thing for this and a movement thing for this, and we're not even conscious of how your exercise program connects with your therapy and how your therapy connects with your work and how your work connects with your relationship with nature, if you're not seeing all of these as a simultaneity, then the capacity for your consciousness to knit them together as a high context field is diminished. Now, the idea of, of a high context is some, an idea from um, Tyson Yonkopura from the book Sand Talk, where he talks about indigenous aboriginal cultures being high context. High context could mean so many different things, but it's not disembodied, whatever it is. You eat from the land, there are elders there, you are not isolated, problems are handled in community, there are stories that are passed on, you're in relationship with the land, which has its own story, there's lineages, there's built-in mythic, ethic, ethical storylines, like, it's high context. I was raised in a high context environment, even though it wasn't a specifically culturally indigenous environment, I was raised in a family of creatives who were connected with the land and the seasons and they were largely amazingly self-aware even by today's self-awareness terms and so there's a way that the high context experience for me is something I want to give to others and so when I think about um, give to others like not like I'm giving it to you but to invite you to the awareness of how to bring high contextual experiences into your life for the purpose of healing now when you paint and when you paint on a large canvas, and when you paint without domination, and when you allow the arising. Jonathan just came to give me a good morning kiss. I'm sitting out by the pool. Um, so I'm just gonna finish this thought that when you're painting, all of these faculties, which also were present when you were experiencing trauma, are activated. So people get really surprised by the different things that come up when they're painting, because they're in this zone and all of a sudden, different memories and ideas are coming up. And what's curious is they're not always, usually not, the same things that you talked about in therapy or that you, you got in fight with your, parent, with your parents about. Um, there are other nuanced aspects that are not the direct trauma, but are the things that are around it, like what you made it mean and what the impacts of it are. They're subtle. They're emotional. So as you paint, these start to come up sort of unbidden. They haven't been given... Um, the airtime that the bigger traumas have. And what's so cool about the painting process is that as you're now painting through it, um, they're starting to move. And we all know that movement and the creation of flow and the release of stagnant energy creates healing. Sometimes it releases a floodgate of stuff that can't be put back. But if you just keep painting through it, the painting does this incredible transference work where it actually starts to integrate and allow you to metabolize and receive the meaning or message from what ended up showing up, what the arising is. 
Now, sometimes the arising brings scary things, and sometimes it brings things you want to cover over, and sometimes revelation. And here's the thing, you're not controlling it. And so it's like painting is this active relationship with imagination that allows you to come into a deeper sense of chosen yet spontaneous self-awareness. The choice is, I'm going to paint to discover and learn and heal, which is what we call medicine painting. But the revelation that comes is unique and distinct from other revelations, although it contributes to other revelations, because you haven't been engaging necessarily in such full somatic action with a focused intention, which is ultimately bypassing the prefrontal cortex, inviting you into an energetic heart seeing space, body, brain, heart, hands are all engaged, and then change starts to happen. The painting then is the record, the artifact of the change. Now over time, part of what begins to happen is we start to recognize that the life we're living out in the world feels different than the life that we feel while we're painting and sometimes in painting community. It feels different. And sometimes painting can lead to restlessness and disruption because you want the life that you're living day to day and in your relationships outside of the self and outside of the community that we're in to match up, if you will, to harmonize with the life you're now discovering from the inside. So this disruption sometimes leads to completions, sometimes invitations, who knows, all kinds of different things start to take place when you start to want to align the world that's happening out there with the world that's happening in here. Also, there's a sense of fragmentation when the world out there doesn't match the world in here. And almost all of us in intentional creativity go about the work of creating an alignment with our outer world, with our inner world, because we don't want to live fragmented lives anymore. And intentional creativity offers us a clear and interestingly step-by-step approach to begin to integrate and become more self-aware and then hopefully to begin to shape the life we're living out in the world and our relationships with the life of the soul that is revealing itself from the inside. And so in completion, the invitation is to invite you to look at your own journey with the self-initiation that you're experiencing in your life at this time whether you're studying with us or in community or just listening in, what self-awareness initiation are you facilitating for yourself at this time? What are you noticing about it? And is there a way you can amplify it in your work? Perhaps you'll go to the painting you're working on right now and meditate and approach and see what arises. Much love to each one of you.